there is only one true way to be enlightened and entertained with the best sports knowledge. That way is the American way. Welcome to the American Way podcast. Here's your host, Amir. Assalamu alaikum and welcome again to the another episode of the American Way. Uh, we got a great show tonight. Uh, earlier, I recorded and I had a recording with uh, a good a good buddy of mine, Ivan Carter. So we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, first of all, just a few observations from what's going on going on over the weekend. First of all, Byron Buxton is just on fire. The Twins have opened up the season. Uh, on a relatively hot streak, they won five of their first seven games. But man, Buxton just been on fire. I didn't know how he would be, how he would open the season. The last couple of years, when he's been healthy, he's just he's been good offensively. But we just never knew. We just never knew like how he would play, uh, and if he if he would be healthy. And he's just been on fire every single game. That, every single game he's played in. Uh, now keep the uh, keep the, keep that in bold. Everybody on this team needs to be given Pepto Bismol. He missed he missed a game and uh, Luis Arias missed a game because of stomach virus stomach virus. So we just need to get those guys some Pepto Bismol. But every game. But that being said, every game that Buxton has played, he's just been on fire. He's had four home runs. He's had four uh, an extra base hit every single game. He's had three. Uh, Three doubles. He's just been on fire. It's just That's just all I can say. I just hope he can keep this up. And I don't know what we need to do to keep him healthy this whole season. But I'll go on the record and say, if Buxton, if Buxton is healthy this whole season, this team is dangerous. That's just that's all I can say. He's, he's every. It seems like now he's he's been able to. He's just figured it out at the at the plate. To the point where every every time he steps up to the plate this season, he just you you expect something some fireworks to happen. It's just remarkable. It just truly is remarkable. And I'm just, it's really exciting that this team and they lost that they're not they lost two games both those games they they were winning that they lost in the opener they lost in extra innings that they were up the whole game and blew it, and that's a game they probably should have won. So they're five and two, but you could probably say they should be six and one. And it's just it's just remarkable that it seems like every single player on this roster has been able to contribute offensively. It's just remarkable. It just truly has been remarkable. But yeah, but Buxton Buxton has been the key. Now uh, Nelson Cruz, he had a game where he had a, a grand slam and another home run where he, he sort of keyed the, he started the party in the one game that Buxton did not play. But every single game that Buxton has played, he's just been on fire. And it's just been a beauty to watch. Uh, moving on, uh, Baylor. Shout out to Baylor for winning the men's men's national championship. And shout out to Stanford for winning the, winning the women's national championship. Those two teams were on fire. Uh, give a shout out to... Although, you got to give a shout out to the teams that, that finished runner-up. Because... Gonzaga, Jalen, Jalen Suggs was on fire. Yeah. That shot, that shot will be memorable forever. Just that shot that he made. You gotta give a shout out to Ari, uh, Ari McDonald. She was just a fun fire. She was just phenomenal. So you gotta, you gotta give her a shout out as well. Just, just uh, both Suggs and, and McDonald are gonna be on fire when they go into the pros. Just, uh, I. It'd be awesome if the Wolves could keep their pick. They could get Suggs. And I, I don't, the Lynx, it's too bad. They have the ninth overall pick. But if they could somehow get their hands on Ari, that'd be phenomenal too. But yeah, Baylor just, they just shut down Gonzaga. And Baylor was just phenomenal. That was, 
the Stanford uh, Arizona game was probably a better game overall than Baylor Gonzaga was. That that Stanford Arizona that game went to the wire, went down to the last seconds, whereas Baylor just it just Baylor just seemed to pummel Gonzaga. You just saw how how just remarkable Baylor wasn't playing. But yeah, it's just great. It just I'm just happy that in spite of the this COVID COVID pandemic, that we were able to be to be able to have. A, an entire tournament play for the men and on and for the women, and able to be able to be to play these tournaments and have them be as great and remarkable as they were to watch. Just great to see. The other big thing that was big from this past weekend was the trailer just dropped for a movie that I'm excited about. I'm I don't know if other people are excited, but uh, Space Jam Two. The trailer just dropped, and just kind of excited. Uh, the crazy thing that's so nuts is all three, the three movies that I'm the most excited about for this this coming year. Knock on no, knock on wood, that we're able to that I'm able to uh, get the second shot in my system and we're and able to be all right. But all three movies I'm excited for this year all feature homegirl Zendaya. It's, it's, I saw the trailer of Space Jam 2 and I found out, oh, Zendaya is voicing Lola. I was like, oh, then obviously we all, I already knew Zendaya is in Dune and I'm excited to see Dune. That just looks so sick. Just based on what the book is about and just on that, on that planet. So just excited for Dune. And then of course, Spider-Man 3. I mean, come on, Spider-Man No Way Home. So it's just so, so weird and wild that all the three movies I'm excited to see post uh, post second shot all features in there. But anyway, I'm just excited for this movie, it's, uh, Space Jam Two. I'm really excited for it. Uh, I got LeBron. I mean, LeBron's sick, man. He's just an amazing player. We got Don Cheadle as the bad guy. Are you kidding me? Don Cheadle, man. Don, he's just, he's a legend. He's a legend. I mean. Now people are gonna no uh, no everyone's gonna kill me for this, but Crash is a good movie. Now don't don't get me wrong, Crash is a good movie. So Don Cheadle and Crash, Hotel Rwanda, War Machine, House of Lies. I mean Don Cheadle's a legend. So you got Don Cheadle as the bad guy, as this AI who sort of uh, kicks LeBron into this WB universe, and like the whole universe, the WB, the way it is. It kind of gets, it kind of gives off some Ready Player One vibes. I know my 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 sister Amina, Amina, she loved Ready Player One, and I saw it. It was it's good. It's a good movie. So, so it gets to Space Jam Two. Give it gives off some Ready Player One vibes. And then now, uh, just interesting how you gotta have this goon squad that they're playing. Now I like how you incorporate the WNBA players into the goon squad. Although I'll admit, I'll admit, I'm not a fan of either of those two specific WNBA players. I've never liked Diana Taurasi. I don't know why. Just I've never liked her. Just she gives off a bad vibe. Now, Neka Ogumake, I don't like her for one simple reason, and that she broke my heart. Neka Ogumake broke my heart. Everybody knows this. That Target Center crowd was too loud. And, but uh, that's that being said, that shot should not have counted. It should not have counted, and she broke my heart. But uh, I love Dame Dala. Dame Dame Lillard is my man. I I love him. I love Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson's my guy. I just I, I love Clay. I've always Clay is one of my favorite players not in the Timberwolves. So them in this movie is sick, but. It'll be interesting to see to see this movie. I'm like I'm really excited to see this movie. LeBron having to go up against Don Shield's squad, and just like I said, he got Zendaya as Lola Bunny, and just this this I like the original, and just I think, but I think this one's gonna be ten times better than the original. I really do, and I just I love Zendaya, love LeBron. I I wonder why they didn't have Michael B. Jordan involved, just because you got Ryan Coogler directing it, and but I guess. Having Don Cheadle and Zendaya in it for the culture, it's just it, it's gonna be exciting. I think this movie is gonna be really exciting. We'll talk about it more uh, as as it, as we get closer to the movie. Maybe we'll get Josiah on because I know 
was was messaging Josiah because he he of course was excited too, and we we're just talking about it. Just yeah, just, just, this movie is gonna be really exciting, really exciting. That like as I mentioned, just gives gives off a Ready Player One vibe. You got LeBron with the Toon Squad going in the classic uniforms to bring back the the, the original vibe, and just like I said, just, it's gonna be a really fun movie. All right. Uh, enough of that. Now let's get on to a conversation I had earlier with Ivan Carter. Uh, he's a Minneapolis boy, uh, grew up in Minneapolis, uh, went to St. Olaf College. Uh, he's currently living out in San Diego, living his best life. Uh, he's a great writer. I love I love his writing. I love even more his takes on Twitter. Uh, just go and check him out. I'm, I'm sure you guys are all aware of Ivan and his happenings. So let's let's move on to my guy Ivan Carter. I, Ivan Carter. Thanks so much. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, man. Um, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How are you doing on this fine Wednesday? Perfect, perfect. Man. Life is good out here. Can't wait weather. So <laughs> it's all good, man. Yeah, having a good day. Yeah, yeah nothing, nothing like it. Nothing. Like it. Yeah, yeah you can't beat gotten... it, man. Never gotten a chance to be out there, but always, always dream of it. Maybe once, maybe one day after the, after this pandemic is all over, I'll get a get a chance to go to, go down there and catch catch that weather. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, it's a, it's a good area. Hey, well, the Vikings will be out here at the end of the season playing L.A., so <laughs> that could be an opportunity for folks. Yeah, it definitely could be. It definitely, it definitely could be. So obviously, if we've interacted for for people who don't know, we've interacted. Uh, via social media, but I never gotten a chance to really get to know your server. So hope to take the chance throughout this episode uh, to just learn some more about you and just uh, about uh, about you, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, I understand. So you grew up in. So I understand you grew up in Minneapolis. Uh, you lived there. Uh, then you you obviously became a writer and just. Take just take me through like your background, just how you uh, your your background in Minnesota, and just your relationship to Minnesota, just how that led to your success and where you yeah. are now. If you don't, if you don't mind. Yeah, born, born, yeah, born and raised uh, Minneapolis, um, Hennepin County Hospital in '75, and then grew up uh, uh, in Minneapolis throughout my youth, um, and then uh, attended. Edison High School as a freshman, and then I moved to Red Wing, Minnesota, where I lived with my grandmother, and finished high school there. Then uh, St. Olaf College, in um, where I played football and was the editor of the school newspaper, and kind of really had a good college experience. And I graduated there in '97, and then I went on started my journalism career in Kansas City at the KC Star. Um, after a couple of years there, I was covering the NFL and the Chiefs for for a few years, and. Then made my way to Washington D.C. in the uh, Washington Post. Uh, I covered some college hoops for a couple of years, and then the NBA, the Wizards. Um, and then, uh, and then I started doing television out there for a few years. Uh, covered, you know, obviously D.C. sports. So Redskins was a big deal then, or the team formerly called the Washington Redskins, and then um, a lot of NBA and, and hockey and you name it. And then uh, seven years ago, I made my way out here to San Diego where I've been uh, freelance writing and, and dabbling in a few other things. So it's been a been an interesting journey, but I keep my keep my roots back home pretty strong. Family's still back there, and I get back, you know, usually once a year, sometimes twice. Um, back when I was covering sports, I got back there just covering sports sometimes over the years, whether it was Vikings games or uh, the Timberwolves when I was covering the NBA. So I've always kept uh, – Kept my finger on the pulse of back home. I grew up cheering for those teams, so it never goes away. Yeah, I'm sure it doesn't. I'm sure it doesn't. It sounds, it sounds remarkable. So, uh, obviously, you know, now living in San Diego, I'm sure you probably follow those teams more, but, like, at, at this point, uh, you have, like, certain teams that you follow mo- uh, most uh, commonly? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely – well, I have a man. I'm a sports fan, so – I mean, obviously, I'm, you know, grew up on yeah, grew up a big Vikings fan. But I watch it. I, I try to catch most Twins games, and and I still, even though the Timberwolves rip my 
you know, ripped my soul out for years. <laughs> I still watch most Timberwolves games, and I follow Gopher sports. And then, obviously, I mean, I, I follow international soccer. And, you know, I'm just a guy. I'll sit and watch tennis. And, um, you know, I, I, I love sports. I love competition. So, really, I try to stay on top of it as much as I can. As you know, the more sports you follow, the harder it is to, to, to really stay on top of it because there's only so many hours in the day. But uh, I do the best I can. Uh, follow them all, man. But yeah, I'm just a I'm a sports guy. I just really, really enjoy it. And and um, one of the cool things about you know this this particular era is that yeah, I got a good you know satellite TV package, so I can pretty much dabble into everything I like. And and with the uh, online world, you can stay on top of people who are covering the teams and, and people who podcast about it, like yourself. And uh, it kind of at least keeps me keeps me connected. Yep. Yeah, I do. I do. If there's competition or a ball being kicked, I'm probably watching. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. I mean, I've, I've full disclosure. I mean, I've I've been, probably been following sports since the day I was born. Probably, literally. Uh, my first words are Michael Jordan, and yeah. It, <laughs> uh, unfortunately or unfortunately, but depending on the day, thanks to uh, thanks to certain uh, players and figures, I've been following sports for. The better part of twenty five years. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that usually cool. starts young, and then you know you just you get into it, and then you play. You know, I played sports forever. It's always been a part of my life. I mean, I still play. Now lately, my main way of staying uh, in shape is tennis. I play several days a week. I've gotten addicted to it since since COVID. It was one of the few things you could do here. Um, but I've always been a pickup and rec league basketball junkie. Um, you know, I'm playing college football. You know, I, I, I ran. I went through a stretch where I ran marathons for a few years, and I still try to do at least one half or some trail runs a year, at least you know a couple of those a year. But just you know, I'm a I love competition. I love exercise and fitness. Um, and then and that's just always been a big part of my life. You know, I, there's other interests too. Yeah, I love history, and I like I try to stay on top of politics and all that stuff. But sports has definitely been been just a big part of my life. It'd be it was really strange when we didn't have it. And I think a lot of people are like me when, when, when COVID first hit and there was just, there's no sports, you know, you're like, what, this is, this is weird. There's no NHL, there's no NBA on and is baseball going to happen? Um, let alone, you know, I always thought NFL would find a way. I mean, there's just so much money to be made. I'm like, these dudes are going to have a season no matter what, but it was such a weird time to live through for in that respect. And then also just in our own, you know, personal lives, like, I, I, I haven't played indoor pickup basketball now in a year, which is the longest I haven't done that, I'm guessing, since I was five years old. Um, and, and so it's just been a been a very interesting time. But I'm glad that sports are, are back in full swing and maybe fans will be back fully attending games before too long and we kind of get back to quote-unquote normal. That'd be that'd be great. I think I'm like a lot of other people. It'd, it'd be fun to drive up to L.A. late next year, late next season, and see the Vikings play the L.A. Chargers in that new stadium up there. That, let's say I'm, I'm looking forward to that opportunity if it happens. It would be fun. Knock on wood, knock on wood would be fun. I think I agree with you. Yeah. But one, one benefit, uh, not necessarily benefit, but just – one thing we, we we realize now that we've gone through this pandemic is just how much we appreciate the sports being in our lives. Like this, like you mentioned, that that we, it was a weird time just not having yeah. all the sports. And I think I think just them coming back and just uh, able to get uh, whatever. Obviously, this past year for season for all the sports, uh, even the ones going on right now, has just been weird. It's still weird, not normal. But I think yeah. you're right. I think it's just just it, it makes the absence makes the hearts grow fonder, and I think it's able to make us appreciate it much, much more uh, as as we do other things. Absolutely, absolutely. It was you know it was initially it was interesting because it was like okay, well I'm, I I have books that I've been waiting to to read. I'm a reader. I'm, I generally go through a book every week or two. I was reading more than I have you know I don't know forever but which is kind of cool right because i'm doing other things Very cool. but then you know it, that kind of i was like man then i'm you know i'm watching old games on youtube because i was missing sports so much you know i was watching the 84 nba all-star game and then you know vikings games from the 80s when i was a kid and you know but sooner before long that that old stuff started to get old and you're like all right i'm ready for 
ready to see some real live action here. So definitely missed it, man. I was glad. I hope we don't have to go through that again. Um, although, you know, who knows? I think that I think the one thing that we all learned about the COVID-19 experience is that we should all probably be prepared for to expect the unexpected going forward. It's just, you know, who knows if there's going to be a COVID-20 or whatever, and it may all happen again. So at this time, I guess I won't be as caught as surprised. Yeah, same here. I won't be caught as surprised. I, I was kind of like you. Know, like I, I, I've always been a very avid reader. I mean, I've had to change my my. I've had to change my methods over the years just because my vision, uh, my vision disabilities, so of more audio books. But I started reading yep. up more yep. books, and then I all the way Just I I could I couldn't, so I would watch these old hardwood classics and the YouTube. Just, just, I tried to. Just, it wasn't the same, so I'm glad that we got it back. Uh, yep. Yep. For sure. Yep. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see that that additional game that we were gonna have this year in the league. You, you mentioned the Chargers and the Vikings. That'll be very interesting to watch. Cause I know a lot of people are they're debating about just obviously last year the who who should won Rookie of the Year. I mean Herbert versus Jefferson. Mm-hmm. So that's a really interesting storyline. You have two teams that I think are probably built similarly. I mean. One probably has a younger quarterback than the other, but I think just looking at the model, the way those teams are built, I think they're, they're, they seem very similar, don't you think? Well, yeah, and they, they they both have, or at least last year, had a very similar glaring flaw, and that's offensive line play. The Vikings are actually a little better than San Diego. I mean, uh, there I go, instead of San Diego, because I live here, yeah. L.A. Chargers. L.A. Chargers' offensive line was, was pretty bad. I mean, it was – you know, whether you look at PFF rankings or just the eyeball test. And what they decide to do in the draft will have an interesting impact on the Vikings um, because they both have, are maybe looking for the same thing. So I'd be curious from that aspect. But if they are able to uh, improve that, they have a heck of a quarterback and Herbert, and, and that defense potentially could be just really, really good. You know, guys like Derwin James and some of the guys that got over there at Bosa, they have some pro bowl type guys. So that's a team I think like the Vikings. It could very easily be, you know, a 10 or 11 win team if they both hit in the hit on the draft, stay healthy and, and you know all the other things. So that game that game could be like two playoff teams going at it or two teams trying to improve seeding. More likely to me it's that is the case than two teams that are out of it playing for next year, but you know, I mean the thing to me about adding the extra game is that I thought it was inevitable. The NFL is just too much money to be made. It was going to happen, but you know, I just feel like they're risking, you know, the injury thing in the NFL is such a serious thing. It's impossible to predict what those two teams look like at that late in the season, because, you know, a couple of key injuries and it's just a wholly different deal. Um, But you know, that the NFL making money, they're great at it. I wouldn't be shocked if someday that that league is playing 20 games. I, you know, I, and expanding the playoffs even more. It's just um, there's the amount of money they pull in, the TV contracts, uh, let alone the stadium revenue. It's just going to be something I think where they just keep trying to add more and more. They might expand rosters so that they can account for the injuries that are that we're going to see. But uh, I kind of hope it doesn't happen. I'd like to keep it right where it is. I think 17 to me, okay, fine. Don't be going to 18. You know, it's kind of going to bastardize some of the regular season records we've seen. You know, if you're guys who set records in the 16-game season, you're going to see them getting broke by guys who get that extra game. Does that put an asterisk next to them? Uh, you know, at, at what point is too much too much? But it's the NFL, and, and um, they've they've mastered the art of, of getting us all to pay attention and all to watch. So we're all addicted to it. So we'll be, we'll be paying attention. Yeah, we certainly will. I think, I think uh, to, to harp on your, your question, I think I thought I read somewhere, I think they said in the collective bargaining, bargaining agreements that they can't add in any more games to the next agreement, which I think will be 2027 or, tw- yeah. or sorry, not, 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 not next yeah. bargaining agreement. I think it's the next, the next TV deal, I believe. Whenever the next yeah. TV deal expires. So we'll, we'll yep. probably be doing these yep. seven, 17 games for at least another decade. But I agree with you. It'll be yeah. interesting. Like, you look at the records and in the record books, like how you have to equate it. I guess I suppose you do it the way that 
the way that you compare the record in the record books between 14 games, the when they played up till 1978, to 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 what they do now, I guess it's, it's similar comparison, I suppose. But be yeah, it's an interesting thing because when you think about records, and I, I don't get too caught up in records. It, it, it's you know individual things in team sports. I don't. I don't get too worried about MVP conversations, rookie of the year, even. I know you mentioned Jefferson earlier. I think it's cool. I have my opinions, but I don't get too twisted about it in, in, in the NFL or NBA. But it's interesting how that records have been impacted. I mean, you think about Paul Krause, the great Viking safety. You know, his interception record may never be broken. And the amazing thing was that guy, I believe when he first broke in the NFL with Washington, it was a 12-game season and then they had 14 um and when but right around the while the time he retired they were they were playing 16 so that guy put up an untouchable record that i don't think we're going to see ever go down in an era where they didn't really fill the ball as much as now and he had fewer games which begs the question why don't we hear his name mentioned more right like you hear about great safeties and people say ronnie lott People talk about, but how he's not talking about Paul Krause. And interesting, interesting thought. The other thing, and then the other thing I always think about is the fact that sacks were really kept as a statistic, I believe, officially until 78 or 79. We'll never really know how many sacks Alan Page had. Um, some of the game film from early in his career aren't even, like, fully existed. So it, there's conjecture. Uh, yeah, so I, I've always kind of thought that when we think about historically great players, some of the guys in that era maybe don't get mentioned as much because the numbers are harder to define them by in some regards. Um, you know, it's up until 78, defensive backs could just really pound wide receivers inside the first five yards. I mean, those Steelers guys, they'll blunt those dudes. I mean, they beat you up. Now then the rule changed. You couldn't bump them until after five yards. How would that impact some of the receiving numbers that exploded in the 80s and 90s? Is that fair to guys like Cliff Branch and Lynn Swan and those guys, Otis Taylor that played in earlier eras? So that part of the extra game argument and rule changes always becomes interesting to me when we talk about placing uh, uh, players in historical context, and I'll just add to it. Oh, definitely. I think the historical context the argument should be made for all sports. So you have a lot of great players. So, Obviously, all of them played before my time, but you have all these great players that I read about or I've read about and heard about that some of them aren't you probably aren't even given their proper due just because uh, of the, just because they played before their time, probably. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And, and the good thing, YouTube has done quite a bit to help because you can go on and find old NFL films and you know some of those great documentaries about the the, the top 100 players. That really did a good service, particularly for the NFL guys. But NBA, too, again, like I, I mentioned, I like going back and watching old games sometimes, particularly from when I was a, a young kid in the early 80s. But but even seeing some clips from, from guys like, you know, when Elgin Baylor passed recently. And there's there's still some really cool stuff out there about him as a young guy, as a Minneapolis Laker, for instance, um, old, old school baseball uh, clips. So th- fortunately, we have more at our fingertips to try to educate ourselves about the previous eras. Than maybe when I was a kid. I mean, when I was a kid, ESPN was the first 24-hour sports channel. I thought it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I mean, I'm I'm sitting there watching Warren Moon playing in the Canadian Football League. Like, wow, this is amazing. Who is this guy? He's going going through a driving snowstorm. But that was the only sports channel, and that was a big deal. Now you have everything at your fingertips. You can you can watch 24-hour tennis channel, the NHL Network, the MLB Network. You got you know, you know, motor racing, if that's what you're into. I, I guess I could sit and watch surfing if I wanted to all day long. So there's just a lot more at our fingertips along with the Internet, which gives us more ways to stay informed. Definitely. It's beautiful. Technology, is, it's, it's, I, I suppose it is a double-edged sword, but technology in that context, in that context, it's, beautiful. it's a beautiful thing, that the more technology yep. allows, the more discovery. In that, in that, in that perspective. Yeah, just for more, more opportunities to indulge yourself, and if you're really into that sports, man, or, or you can go back and watch old games all you want. Like I said at the start of COVID, it was really fun to kind of go back, and I was just kind of bored, and I was like finding old Vikings games from the '80s, 
uh, that I remembered watching as a kid, you know, Tommy Kramer and Anthony Carter was one of my favorite players as a young guy. I'm Rashad, that, that whole era. I probably, you know, vividly remember roughly 1980 and on. So it was kind of fun to go back and Ted Brown, you know, some of those old games, old play, playoff games they lost. It was kind of fun and nostalgic to go back and look at that because I hadn't done so in a long time or even if ever. Some of that stuff I had never seen since I originally saw as a kid. It was a pretty cool, pretty cool thing to do. Oh, yeah, I think we all were doing that. I think I know I was for sure. I mean, yeah, there's just a lot. It, 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 a lot of rabbit holes you go down. I think I, I know I definitely yeah. did that with the Vikings. I, I did that with a lot of NBA games, like a lot of old yeah. 90s NBA games. I know I did that for sure. And I, like, uh, I think I remember. Well, that, the, I remember the Jordan the, Jordan Last Dance documentary dropping right was right when we were all in quarantine. Was a beautifully timed thing by ESPN. Obviously, when they made it, they had no way of knowing that we were all going to be in. COVID nineteen lockdown, but what a, what a great confluence of events for them to get you know eyeballs on that doc because it took us all back those of us that lived through it, and then the younger generation maybe that to them Jordan is what you know I guess early Dr J is to me where I knew he was great and I I knew it was kind of late in his career but I didn't see his prime you know not as many games were on TV back then so people would be able to see that really brought it home and the Bad Boys Pistons. You know, and the you know sixty-three point game in Boston, and all that the pop culture stuff. Um, I had a buddy I played basketball with. He's probably twenty-seven, and he literally had never heard the LL Cool J song "I'm Bad" before. And then he picked me up one day, and we went just to go throw the football around in the park, just because we were just bored. And he was jamming it in his car and playing it on repeat. He was like, "I can't, I'm, I can't believe I never heard this before." I'm like, dude, I grew up on that. What are you talking about? But it just illustrates how a lot of things are generational. I'll probably I'm gonna embarrass embarrass myself right now, but I'm I'm actually younger than him. But I was watching that documentary, and I I'm the big I'm a big Prince fan, and that that was the first yeah. time I ever heard that. I I thought the first time I ever heard that song, and I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm on Spotify and YouTube. Like this is the greatest song ever. How have I not heard? I've heard I've heard like all yeah. the 50 million. All the other great Prince songs, and it's like yeah, Party Man. Hard. You talk. Oh, you said about the Batman album, Party Man, Party Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you're right. Yeah, yeah. I, had, I had never heard of it yep. before. It's like, that's a cool thing about that kind of uh, TV making, documentary filmmaking, is it can bring you know other earlier areas to eras to life for you know current generations. I mean, I know I've I've gone down that rabbit hole watching older docs on you know, jazz artists or, or, or musicians from way from before my time. You know, it's a really cool tool if it's done properly and told stories in the right context. It could be a great way to bring that stuff alive. Oh, definitely. It could, it, uh, the, if they do the if they do these documentaries in uh, in any genre the right way, they can it can encapsulate a whole era and time for somebody who's never been there. They can just imagine how they can do those. Absolutely. I'm sure we're going to be seeing some on the COVID era, you know, a few years down the line. Knock on wood, if we never have to go through this again, I bet some really cool stuff comes out, some of which we don't know went down behind the scenes or whatever on how the leagues handled this stuff and and individuals handled it and trainers and, you know, all the stuff associated with the the world and business of sports. Um, It's going to be interesting to see what emerges from it. Exactly. Yep. And how they managed to, how they had to, they had to shut down everything uh, in one day. Because I was hearing that earlier that day when they shut, when they shut those down, they were having a a meeting between the owners. They were just talking about, oh, we'll play in empty arenas. And six hours yep. later, the whole thing shut down. So it'll be, yeah. it'll be, that'd be an interesting, it'd be an interesting talking point for a documentary. Definitely. It definitely would be. Yeah, I'm sure we'll see it. We'll see it. We'll we'll see it. We'll see it done. It's, uh, it'll be too. It'll be too interesting not to. Oh yes. Another thing that I wish somebody. Uh, another thing. Another interesting topic on COVID that a documentary would need to encapsulate is the comparison to New Zealand. Like I've just been reading on what Australia and what they've been doing there. I'm just floored. Yeah. I, I don't. It's just how how they made it. They basically managed to eradicate COVID from the whole 
from the con- from the content I believe that everybody just followed the rules. They just locked themselves in, and they just now now you see now the pictures that they're in full crowds and full events, and they're able to do it safely. It's just it's remarkable how it was. It was all. It's going to be fascinating to, when people look back on it. Is that it was such a crazy confluence of events because it just so happened they happened at a time when we were all going into an election year, which we knew was going to be crazy, polarizing anyway, right? And and you had this president yeah. that is just a very polarizing guy. I love him or hate him, and I'm not a fan. But whatever you so once it became political whether you're going to wear a mask or socially distance or where did COVID come from? Is it a, is it the Wuhan virus or was it made in a lab or did it come from? Once all that became political, it took a whole different kind of turn in terms of how we interpreted information and watched the chain of events unfold. And it's just crazy to me that it just so happened to hit at a time when we were living through, you know, going into an election year of, of the most polarizing election maybe we've ever had um, I, you know, I, I've lived, I've lived through a few in my life and I'm 46 years old. I, it was some, I, I couldn't imagine what I was seeing. And plus then the explosion of Facebook and social media and Twitter, the way we share information has changed now, the way people get their news their quote unquote news and information has, has changed rapidly. Uh, the whole fake news thing. And it was, you couldn't, it's almost like you couldn't make it up. If you were making a movie about, a virus striking a society and people taking polarizing views on what to do about it. You couldn't have made a more perfect or imperfect recipe than the one that we got and the way United States culture dealt with it versus some other countries and the way we've kind of, I guess, are still trying to get our way out of it. And it looks like we're, we're on our way, knock on wood, but I'll always look back and wonder, you know, how, how it might've been different if a different leader had been in charge and it had been, we had been on top of it earlier. Uh, and the scientists had been listened to earlier. I'll always wonder, but I guess we'll never really, really know because it's one of those hindsight is 2020 things, you know, and that'll be what's kind of interesting about it. Yeah, I, I'm in the same camp as you. I think we'll never really know for sure, but I I do wonder that I think if we had a different leadership uh, structure, if we a different leader in place, that things probably would have gone down differently. But you're right. We'll never We'll never fully know, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, have, I have my guesses. I think I think it might have been what we saw, what, like you mentioned. You mentioned Australia got up and running earlier, New Zealand, a few other cultures. Um, you know, counter to that is that they don't they don't maybe don't have the same concentration of people, and you know, and frankly, in some ways, um, I, I I think one thing I wish that had emerged is that we had a little bit more honest conversation about the basic health of American society in, in terms of stronger immune systems and um, maybe in better physical condition and better eating habits and nutritional habits and, and sleeping habits and all the things that lead to being having an immune system that might fight off viruses. Um, it's something I think people talk around because it's uncomfortable. Like, I mean, you know, it makes you feel like you're pointing the finger at people, but we, there are some statistics that are, are pretty pretty scary. I mean, the number of the obese children in our society and eating habits and the way uh, food is processed um, and, you know, the anti, you know, the, the kind of, the, the kind of things that are pumped into our food, it, it's really made me stop and think a lot about that from a nutrition standpoint. I listen to a lot of uh, podcasts about fitness and nutrition and health um, and, and maybe question like, how do we maximize our health? so that we are better equipped to handle viruses in the future. And I, I really haven't seen a lot of, particularly political leadership aren't going to go anywhere near it because it'll feel like they're demonizing people. And there for certainly are many of them in, um, in tight with, with the, the food industry, fast food industry lobby and, 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 and the food production industry. So that's something though I really would encourage people to look deeper at as we go forward, because if we're a little bit healthier, maybe we're a little bit better equipped to deal with something that comes along later. You're a hundred percent right. I, I guess well, to, to, as it was happening at the real time, I didn't really think about that aspect as much just cause I, I already watched what I eat sort of, but you're, you're hit, you hit the nail on the head that I think if we, if we took the time to examine 
our habits, our nutrition habits, our exercising habits, uh, our sleeping habits. We might, in the future, we might be better equipped to, uh, God forbid, but we might be better equipped to handle uh, something like this. Yeah, I mean, it, it might definitely equip you to at least be, you know, at least better better able to fight it off. I mean, certainly, look, a weak immune system makes you more vulnerable to everything. That That's obvious. I don't think you need to be a scientist with a, with a degree from Harvard to understand that. Um, and so that, that right there, let's, let's start with that. I mean, I think, you know, it's something that, that it'd be interesting to see what we, if we talk about, it. I mean, and circling back to sports, I mean, it probably makes sense why athletes who caught COVID were able to bounce back faster is because they're starting off from a healthier place. That, that to me seems just logical. So it'd be interesting to see if, if that, those connections are drawn and then applied to policy and uh, kind of social norms going forward. Oh yeah, I think you're. I think I think you're. I think you're onto something there. I think it 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 it, it makes logical sense that the people who got it, that the athletes who got it, they were able to recover quicker. So maybe it'll lead, it'll lead to trends. Well, just examining the overall holistic state of our state of our society. I think it will. Yeah. Absolutely, man. I guess. I was I was I was fortunate I didn't get it and I, I now I've got obviously gotten my shot but I was fortunate I was really, I was really like panicking like trying to stay inside because I've I just I've had a genetic disorder and I've, I've been diabetic for 15 years but um, mm, interesting I've been but I've been, I've been eating oatmeal every day for the last decade so that's one trick yeah. but, and I I try to exercise but just just because of my genes like that was it's something that you something that you bring up is something I guess I sort of have thought about that. Just yeah, I, yeah well, I mean, like, and then the response what responsibility do we have to the people that are maybe in more vulnerable positions among us? You know, the, obviously the elderly, people with compromised immune systems. Um, you know, I think that that whole experience taught me about some people I felt were taking a really selfish approach. Like, well, I'm not wearing a mask. It's you're restricting my freedom. Well, like, dude, you do you wear the mask so that the person that you might interact with doesn't come into contact with this illness. Like, come on, you know, like let's be maybe be a little less selfish on some things. But I, when something like that happens, and again, I, I circle back to how it kind of became political, um, and then you just you factor in the fact that I think American citizens in general just don't like to be told what to do. Which I get it. We're a free society. I, I love freedom. Um, I wouldn't want to live in autocracy. I don't want to live in North Korea, you know, or whatever. But there's also some times where maybe we do what we need to do for the greater good. Uh, so, and I, I think sports help kind of set an example with that by shutting down, by encouraging mask wearing, by encouraging, you know, social distancing, and then opening up back up smartly. The NBA's bubble execution was fantastic. Looking back on it, I mean, they pulled it off. They went into a bubble. They bubble. They said, "You guys are going to be tested regularly. We're going to keep you contained, and and you know if you sneak out to try to go to a strip club or the chicken joint or whatever you do, you're going to be, you're going to get in trouble." And it worked. They pulled it off. Adam Silver should be commended for what he was able to do to keep not only that business running, but also to do it in a, in a, in a kind of a safe and responsible way and give us entertainment to watch. I thought they were a tremendous example of what can happen with responsible leadership. Oh yeah, definitely. I think of all the leagues that's responded to the pandemic, I think I think the NBA is towards the top. Just how they reacted in the, in the bubble. I, I know they've they've had some uh, hiccups uh, this season, just because they've been they have had to do things a little differently, not fully in a bubble. But I think just overall, if you look at rank all the sports leagues and how they responded to the to COVID, I've yeah, I think the NBA is probably towards the top. Just how they managed to do it. Yeah, they were able to get through it. And you know, like NFL, NHL, were all you know, able to finish their seasons. Baseball got got through that shortened season. I mean, I think for the most part, they they all should be applied for being how they navigated it. I mean, we lost out on an NCAA tournament. And those kids will never get that experience back. That was a bummer for them. I, I felt bad for the high school athletes that missed out on their uh, uh, senior year, junior year of college and uh, basketball and sport, all the other sports. Um, my my alma mater, where I played college football, St. Olaf, didn't get to have a season last year. I felt really bad for those kids. I mean, that would have really 
that would have really stunk, man. I, you know, looking back on it, like I, I, you don't get to play your last year. Like I wasn't going pro, you know, so that was going to be it. And to think that's it, I'm done. I don't get to play again. That would have really, really, really been a bad, uh, a bummer. I felt bad for them. So it was kind of cool that, that 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 sports are back up and running for for folks at that level too. I mean, I hope it. Uh, I hope it doesn't happen again. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. It's been really cool watching uh, how. How, watching how all these uh, all sports have coming uh, have come back, just how great they have come back. Uh, moving on to a different topic, I just uh, I was actually just having a discussion with somebody else about this. Somebody posted something with your historical knowledge. You can provide your input. I was talking with uh, somebody about uh, somebody else brought up a discussion of the greatest first round picks in the history of the Vikings. And I thought about it. I said, this is a very difficult conversation to have. I don't know what you think on this. I think uh, I'll, I'll credit uh, Lindsay Young. She's the one who, who approached this suggestion. But it's like, yeah, it's just like I'm, I'm thinking in my head that there's four guys in, the, in this conversation. And then I realize I forget about one guy. So it's just, I'm just curious your thoughts on that. Like, are you saying the top four picks for the top the, the the greatest the greatest first round pick in team history for the Minnesota Vikings? Yes, and my my first my third thought when I saw that when I saw her when I saw her mention it, I I I came up with four names. I couldn't decide. Oh, I mean, which one the first round picks. I mean, Paige, well, so Paige was a first round pick. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then I got to, I mean, obviously, you got to talk about Randy, Randy, where they got him. And McDaniel. Randall, McGa- Randall McDaniel. I mean, he, boy, that's Andy. a tough list, man. And then Adrian Peterson. Yeah, right. Oh, quickly, I could get. Was was Targeted? Wait, Targeted was a first-round pick, right? Wait, am I losing my mind? Was he had to be. Got him out of Georgia. That's when Norm Van Brocklin was running the team. Um. Well, that's a really fun discussion, and then you got to talk about the kind of the rookie year Jefferson had. So, if you mean best first round pick in terms of immediate impact and rookie year, it's hard to it's hard to talk it's hard to get to go past what Moss did. That was just an absolute monster monster year. I saw it I saw it happen, so I'm kind of biased to that one. Um, I mean, he made the Green Bay Packers go draft three corners the next year. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was. Yeah. You know, they were fifteen. They went from a really good team the year before, a nice playoff team, to a fifteen and one team that was a, a you know Gary Anderson missed kick away from going to the Super Bowl, maybe winning it. I, I, I probably have to probably have to go Randy, in terms, just because of the impact he had. He was the highest scoring player on the highest scoring team up to that point in NFL history, and then he was the highest scoring player on the Patriots team that became the highest scoring team nine years later. Pretty amazing stuff. I I guess I got to go Randy, man. Um, and then in no particular order, Page, Adrian, Randall McDaniel. I mean, Dolman was a first round pick, and he made the Hall of Fame. I mean, we're leaking, we're going to leave our Hall of Famers in that in that discussion, which is kind of crazy. But yeah, there's no other way around it. I know, and that's pretty and fun. Just think about the and just think about the question. Just think about the question that you brought up, like. Wait a second. There's a lot of guys I'm missing, and like there's all these great players that actually were first round picks. That you can think about it. Like in, Joe, Joey Browner was a first round pick, and he, he didn't make the Hall of Fame, but Joey Browner was a great player of of my generation of really watching Vikings football. Safety out of USC, instant impact guy, big hitter. Um, I, I you know what? I always talk about the first round pick they didn't make, and I hate to bag on them. Darren Nelson, they took Darren Nelson when they could have taken Marcus Allen out of USC. I always wonder what what would have been. Darren was had a nice, solid, low career. A lot of people are probably, in my opinion, too harsh on him for the, the, the non-catch in Washington in the 87 championship game. You know, it's one play, but uh, Marcus Allen went on to be a Hall of Famer and one of the greatest running backs ever, and he would have been playing on the AstroTurf of the Metrodome with that speed and his movement. His ability to catch the ball in the backfield. I, I've always wondered <laughs> how Bud Grant and those guys justified that decision. He would have gone through maybe a couple of lean years there in between 
in between Bud and Bernsey, but it'd be be fun to see what if they'd have done if they'd have made that pick. That's that's the fun kind of name to throw in there. If what if what if they woulda coulda shoulda, you know what I mean? And I'll say this, I'll say this: Dante Culpepper for the short career he had was a great football player, and. He, they took him the year after they went, had that great year, which was kind of controversial. You're taking a quarterback. You could be taking Javon Curse. You should be taking a defensive end. Um, what are you doing? But the guy played MVP-style football. He had, was an instant impact and fun to watch. Big, big-body guy running people over, running around people, throwing it 70 yards deep like a, like a cartoon. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And, you know, then they went down to Carolina and played that game and his knee exploded. And, you know, he didn't maybe didn't rehab properly. There was some disconnect with the team and he was never the same. But I, I would throw him somewhere maybe in that top ten too because, boy, he was he was fun. And that was not an obvious pick for Denny to go get a quarterback to, to compliment a team that already had Randall Cunningham who played at a near MVP level. So I, I'll add that in there too. Yeah, and I think – and people, and that's another, that's another name. And Kevin Williams is another name too that people forget about. Oh yeah, yeah multiple all pros, multiple. You know, I just, I guess you wait. The impact, you know, a Randall McDaniel can have versus an amazing wide receiver or you know, pass rushing, D tackle like Alan Page has versus you know, a, a different position. That's always interesting. I mean, Page's body of work. Is hard to hard to dismiss, um, but I just think a guy, yeah, playmaking type wide receiver or, or quarterback can impact the game more than an offensive guard or a defensive tackle. But also, you distract and just hey, he had a great career. You can't take away from any of them. Kevin Williams probably will not get ever mentioned enough, but I believe without looking it up, he made. I'm not Pro Bowls. He made four or five All Pros, which that means you're. You're that Aaron Donald type, like kind of thing where you're making four or five All Pros at your position. That's rare, um, and that puts you in a special Hall of Fame type category. Uh, I'm not even sure Chris Dolman did that. So I, I think, I think that, yeah, that's a fun name too. Oh yeah, yeah. It was, it was an interesting, it was an interesting conversation. I thought that having you on, I'd bring it, bring it towards your way. Hutch, uh, for a couple more. Uh, who do you think? What do you think they should do? And in this coming draft in three weeks, what do you think they should do? I, 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 I know a lot of people think offensive line. I think they should probably. I personally think they should trade down, and maybe try and get a couple guys. And I'm curious what you think. I, I'm, I'm kind of the mind that, you know what, Spielman's kind of not been great at building that offensive line. I think they've had one Pro Bowl offensive lineman in 15 years. Yes, I want to see them improve the offensive line. Part of me thinks, you know what, double down. You gave Kirk Cousins the money. You got you got Thielen and Jefferson. Draft the gopher, Rashad Bateman. Let's get let's put three great receivers on the field with Irv Smith. Let's have Dalvin Cook back there running and let's really slice people up. And then do what we gotta do up front. You know, maybe you move Ezra Cleveland the guard and you you figure out a couple of things. You get up a couple guys later in the draft. But let's just go all the way, baby. It's pro football today is about two things, beating people at the passing game and stopping the other other team's passing game. So what are you going to do if you got a Bateman on the field as the third receiver with Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson? You're not doubling anyone. All of a sudden, a quick passing game becomes lethal. Cousins, for all some of his faults that people have, the guy can be deadly accurate, particularly if he's getting some guys in one-on-one situations, picking the gopher, would be very popular. I, I'm kind of thinking, let's just let's double down, baby. Let's let's do it. Let's just be great at what you already do and figure out the rest along the way. Yeah, that's an interesting name. That's a, I I love Bateman. I think I think he, I think uh, a lot of websites are aren't ranking him as highly, but I love him. I just maybe it's maybe it's my maybe it's my uh, alma mater bias kicking in a little bit, but just. Watching some play yeah. every game that's being played. He, play. he checks all the boxes. He checks all the boxes. Now, you know, I, I'm of the mind that one. It's it's hard to tell whether is he going to be a wide receiver one 
or a really good like second or third guy. If he winds up being a if you if the Vikings were to take him, all he has to do be is a really second great second or third guy, right? Because you're splitting catches. But he's fast. He's got a big body. He's got a great catch radius. He runs good routes. He's got great body control. He goes and gets it in the air. Um, his character seems to check all the boxes. I've never heard anything bad about him off the field. So to me, it would be a fairly uh, risk-free move at that particular slot. Um, but, you know, projecting wide receivers is, is tough because, like, who saw Jefferson coming? Not like that. I, I mean, I watched that guy play at LSU. Yeah, he's pretty good. He's going to be a good pro. But Jamar Chase was the guy uh, that maybe stood out a little more physically, right, at LSU on that team. And Jefferson just hit the ground running, like, very rare we've ever seen. You mentioned Moss earlier. So I can't say I saw that coming. So you just never really know. Um, look at a guy like Bill Belichick and, and his not, I guess you could call it failure, but he hasn't been good at drafting wide receivers. He's missed a few times. Now maybe it's too late. It's too early to, to check out on the kid that they got out of Arizona State. Is it uh, uh, Nikhil Harry? Um, yeah, but he didn't Harry. exactly, yeah, he didn't exactly light it up. I mean, they've missed a few times and if that best greatest coach of all time can't exactly draft that position great, it tells you what a crapshoot it is. So, but I would, I would be surprised if Bateman busted. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was a, a, at least a very solid to above average NFL receiver, you know, barring injury, and particularly on a team where he doesn't have to be the main guy. I mean, heck, I, to me that that would be fun to see. The problem is, and Spielman's done it to himself is that their needs at some neglected spots, offensive guard, <laughs> we've been talking about it for years, has put him in a position, and now defensive line, because they still haven't replaced Everson Griffin. And you hope you hope Hunter's back right, but you didn't have him. You saw what happened without those two last year. Um, it's put him in a position where he has to, he has to fill holes to save his job. He's not coaching for five years from now. And, you know, the Wilfs say nothing, but they're, they're not offering him that big of an extended contract. And it seems to me that Zimmer and him are coaching for their jobs that they can't afford 6-10, and 10, or I guess 6-11 and 11 now, right? They can't afford – they need to make the playoffs. They need to be at least above average. They gave that quarterback the money. They've got one game from the Super Bowl with Case Keenum and then decided Cousins was the guy. They fail, consistently failed to address the offensive line. They gambled on Ngakwe last year and, and then had Hunter not, not play. And I know he's going through the injury. And then Pierce, they gave the money and he opted out. So they're, they're in a pickle here. So I don't know if they can afford to be like I am, as frivolous, I guess, to go get a Bateman because they have to fill needs. Filling needs in the draft is a dangerous thing. Because it's a crapshoot, so they need he he needs a home run draft, and you know he probably doesn't need guys like Jeff Gladney to be acting up off the field and getting getting his career ruined. I mean that that's that's going to have a trickle you know potential trickle down effect. So I'd I'd be I would love to ask the Wills a question: How long a lease do these guys have? And we have no no idea of it. They leak nothing to the media. There's no they, – they, they're not like Jerry Jones and Dan Snyder where you could kind of, all right, this is how the owner feels. Do you have any sense of what the Wilfs think about this whole thing? I don't, and the people who cover them don't. So, to me, that's a million-dollar question about what they do in this draft. Oh, it definitely is. And I think you're right. It's, it's, it's tough. It's, it's very hard to be filling needs in the draft. It's better – that's better for free agency when you fill in the needs or the, the draft is sort yeah. of to supplement other – because you – it's a crap. You're right. It's a crap. The draft is a crapshoot. I mean, you have a, you 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 sort of guess, and I I guess sort of piggyback on your Bateman take. I've always felt for for receivers that I feel like a lot of front offices they value speed when they shouldn't. They like a, you always see the first receiver, first receiver two that comes off the board is a fast guy, and historically you see those guys fail in the pros, but you see the guys who are the polished route runners like Bateman is, is so just harping on that. I think like whatever whatever position that of need that that they, that they get, they're they're going to be guessing. It's just it's all it's all a guess. So you need to be making sure 
that you're making yeah, the that, most and that goes, like that. That kind of goes to your point about trading back is that at least stacking up more picks. It's like it's like the more darts I have, the better I might hit the dartboard. You know what I mean? Like I'm terrible at darts, whether I'm having a beers in the bar or not. I, I suck. But if you give me 20 darts, there's a better chance that I hit it from 10 feet away than if you give me five darts from five feet away, you know, cause I just, I'm, I get more chances to swing and miss and maybe I get lucky and boom, I hit the bullseye. That's the argument for stacking picks to me, particularly when you have multiple needs and you've whiffed on offensive guard repeatedly. But the second part is that the same people who thought it was a good idea to run juice Mia out there last year are still running things. The same GM, the same head coach, the same scouts, same offensive line coach, right? So who are we to trust that they know what they're doing no matter what they do when it comes to that particular position? They seem to have been better at some other spots. I trust Zimmer with, with the defensive backs. I, I understand philosophically why he wants to, he wanted to add um, the other defensive tackle to just stone cold stop the run. That makes sense. Mike Zimmer's been thinking that way his entire football career. We're going to shut you down on the run on first down. We're going to put you in tough intermediates on second. We're going to get you in third and long, and then we're going to get off the field. That That's what his best defense have always done. He Now I think potentially with Pearson Tomlinson, it's going to be a really hard to run the ball on the Vikings between the tackles. It's, unless those guys are hurt, Something crazy happens, and with those linebackers, Kendricks is a is a stud. Bars is can run and cover ground. I have confidence that that he can scheme up when he needs to with those guys and Harrison Smith. We'll see about Patrick Peterson. He's getting a little older. I think there's a little more juice in there for him. He could have a good year, and then go right back into free agency and get in maybe one last really nice deal, or maybe he transitions to some safety. We've seen guys over the years do that. Rod Woodson, Charles Woodson did that, extended their careers. There's been a few others. And then I think thematically he could put a, a top five to seven defense on the field. I still ask, though, what, what the same people that have not done well creating this guard center guard thing are still running the team, still coaching the team. I, I have nothing but, I guess, blind hope that they fix it now. Yeah, I guess that's all you can have is just blind hope. I mean, like it's it's hard to get it's hard to know about these things. Like you just never know. They put Drew Samia out there, bro. I mean, you might as well have me and you out there. Like, are you kidding? And I, no, not to back on Drew Samia, but we we watched that guy get ragdolled. Like, oh man, this is not good. And poor Kirk Cousins, who you know could be a pretty good quarterback if he's not dealing with interior pressures. Like, you put one guy in front of me, who's going to guarantee what? Interior pressure. I don't get it. I still don't get it, but that's what happened. And we'll see what they do this year, man. Yeah, we'll see what they do. Uh, moving on, so quickly, do you think the Timberwolves will ever be good again? I mean, I remember when I was little. Because oh, oh. basketball oh. was my first love. And I remember when I was little how great they were. With kitchen. I just. Oh, one playoff, year. one playoff appearance in 17 years, dude. I know. I, I don't know. know what to say. I'm, I'm out of hope. I mean, I've been a fan since '89. I was watching Pooh Richardson in the Metrodome. I, I, I lived through all of it, man. Felton Spencer and Luke Longley and Christian Leitner and I mean Danielle Marshall and I, I mean I'm pro. And then finally we got Garnett and we had hope and we they almost almost won it. And then you know. Sam Cassell injured himself doing the big balls dance and threw his back out. And we lost to the Lakers. They might have won it that year. Everything we've gone through. And here they I am. Won that year. Oh, and here I am watching. Hopefully, you know, Edwards is giving me some hope. But, you know, losing games. I mean, they just keep losing games. Carl Anthony Towns is a 20 and 10 or whatever guy. And I th- he seems to have all the tools to be a top five to seven NBA player, but why do his teams lose so much? Can If he's the alpha, how, how far are you ever going to go? I'm starting to ask these questions. Um, no, I, I don't I don't have a lot of faith it's going to change. I don't know what to tell you, man. Uh, I just watch them and follow them and read about them and, and hope that maybe magically Rosas and these guys hit on something that, that is sustainable. Um, they're really in a tough pickle. Minneapolis is never going to be a prime free agent destination. 
they're going to have to overpay or at least, you know, trade brilliantly to put together what they need to put together on top of elite drafting. And they've already hit three number one picks. And what do they have to show for it? A lot of losing, which it's really hard to do. They've drafted number one three times now in the last, what, nine years, eight years, is it? It's um, it's frustrating, man. It's disheartening. And maybe they get Jalen Suggs and we're all, we're all dancing in the streets, man. That, there you go. I'll give you some hope. Jalen Suggs comes home. Yeah, he's a good player. I mean, yeah, and I, and I think Ants. I think I like what I've seen from Ants. I, I like what I've, I've, a lot. Oh yeah. I, like, oh, yeah. I, I think I think he's I think he's gonna be really good. I think he he's still young. He needs he probably needs to build up his his frame a little bit more. Just to, so he he he's, yeah. he's, he's, and he's nineteen. I mean, he's nineteen, right? Yeah. You know, at that age, I was a freshman at St. Olaf. You know, hoping to. I guess get a, get to the school library and meet a girl. I, I don't even know what I was doing at that age. And this guy's in the NBA dunking on people. So there's some ho- a lot of hope there. I just when it all when you put it all together, we've seen flashes of hope over the years. You know, um, is D'Angelo Russell? I don't I don't know what you're ever going with. D'Angelo Russell is your second best player with Carl Anthony Towns. They gave you know so I, it. Yeah, maybe you get Suggs and then you, you make a deal and make some trades and build around Suggs and Edwards. Um, maybe that's what you got to do, but it's it's tough, man. It's hard to watch. Yeah, it definitely is. Just we just cling, we we cling to hope. That's what we do. We, we yeah. I, 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 yeah. I, I've said it, I've said it on this podcast before. I'm not sure if you heard this statement, but I I feel like Mike. I feel like I constantly feel like Michael Corleone. It's like I I try I. I try uh, these teams. They, I try, and they just keep pulling me back in. And it's like, well, it's like I know it's gonna end, and it's gonna heartbreak, and and they just, they just like. I mean, as as we're talking, as we're having this discussion, I'm watching NBA TV, and Sam Mitchell is playing highlights of young Stephon Marbury and young Garnett, which just goes back to what we've been talking about, like that promise. Uh, I remember being in there when Marbury was. A puppy with young, you know, I'm like, well, this is the next act in the loan, you know, and it didn't work the way we hoped. And yeah, I just, it just goes to show every, there's been glimmers of hope with that franchise, but we, ultimately, man, we've had more uniform changes than, than playoff series wins. I don't know what to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me either. Well, yeah. Ivan, this is, this is been great, sir. I appreciate your time and your insight and your yep. wisdom. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. We'll have to do this again sometime. Thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely, buddy. I'll be checking it out. Definitely. You take care. Yep. Take, take, you too, take buddy. care in that, in that warm weather and uh, beautiful, beautiful ways. Yeah, man. It's beautiful California. I'll be holding it down for you guys. Sounds great. Sounds great. We'll talk, we'll talk again. I want to thank Ivan again. He's just awesome. He's so prolific, he, and he's so knowledgeable about s- sports and just mini- not just Minnesota sports, but just history and just. I appreciate Ivan for his uh, su- for his support. I know he listens to this podcast often, so we, uh, I appreciate his support and I appreciate him coming on. All right, we got some more stuff in the bag. More stuff coming, coming, coming through. Your way so soon, hoping to get some guys on to talk about the draft, what the Vikings will do in the next, in the next three weeks. So hope to have some more uh, guests and more fun coming. All right, you guys have a great evening. It's been real. Thank you guys so much. Salam alaikum.